Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, celebrating 20 years of bringing the outdoors to Colorado Radio, here's Terry Wickstrom. Good morning. What a beautiful day. We've sure had some up and down weather and we're going to cover that a little bit. We're going to go over, we're going to cover some existing fishing conditions today. A little bit of ice fishing and some open water. We'll cover both. We're going to have a, later on this hour talk to Parks and Wildlife. They're going to be coming up on their applications for um, uh, game managers, game wardens, uh, district a district game manager's actual title. It's a cross between a biologist and a game warden. And they're going to tell you how, you, if you're interested in a career like that, how you might apply and what you have to do to get ready. They have a hiring round every year, but the application process will start this spring. So we're going to talk to them about that. We're going to take you around the country. We'll cover some techniques. We got a lot going on today, with the, especially with all the weather changing. And then we're going to um, cover a couple different topics, too. And uh, we're going to get, get go right to the phones now because... Um, this uh, young lady, I want her to, uh, I want to certainly bring her up. And I can call you uh, young Lonnie because I don't even, Lanny, I don't even know how old you are, but I know you're younger than me. So that's all that matters. Hey, how are you doing this morning? It's great to be on your show. It is. This is Lanny Barnes we're talking to. For folks that don't know her, she is a um, a biathlete, three-time Olympic biathlete, She's a, a professional shooter, a competitor, an instructor. And, I, and I'm really enamored with talking to you, too, Lanny, about women in the outdoors, women in the shooting sports. But first, let's kind of tell people who you are. Let's start with the Olympics. A lot of people here, biathlete, you know, they think triathlon and, and all those. It's a little bit different. Tell people what a biathlete is. Yeah, so biathlon is cross-country skiing and rifle marksmanship. I competed in the last three Olympics and retired after 2014 and jumped into three guns. Well, you're, of course, right here from Durango, Colorado, and mm-hmm. so we're so proud to have a three-time Olympian. And is that, um, it's, a, it's a really different kind of sport, cross-country skiing and then shooting. You know, cross pe- people who don't in, aren't into either one of those, um, one of the things that happens, you cross-country ski, obviously you, you exert yourself, and then shooting while you're breathing heavy and things, it's really an incredible training, isn't it? Oh, definitely, yeah. I mean, we, we train year-round, and we have about two weeks off a year. Uh, it's it's pretty pretty rigor, rigorous schedule. Um, with Boston, we, we ski around, and we carry the rifle on our back, kind of like a backpack. And uh, when we get to the shooting range, we try to – a lot of people think, oh, you, you calm your heart rate down and, and kind of center your chi and things like that. But the way the sport's evolved, we, we try to shoot as fast as possible and – come in with as high a heart rate as possible. And the idea behind that is there's less time between beats at 180 beats per minute, um, where, you know, if your heart rate drops to, say, 140, there's a lot more time between beats and you're going to get that thud um, and see a lot more barrel movement. You know, there's a lot. I'm, I'm a shooter myself, so is my wife, and there's a lot more to shooting than, than people understand. And later on, I want to talk to you about how you got started and what it's been like being a woman and what typically has been considered a, a man's sport, shooting and hunting. Which, but we'll talk more about that later. So you, you've competed in the last three Olympics. You're not competing this year, but you are going over there, aren't you? I am, yeah. I'm heading over in uh, just a little bit. The IOC, International Olympic Committee, hired me and two other uh, Olympians 
uh, one guy from uh, Great Britain and another from France to uh, produce artwork. So we're going to do painting during the, the games. Now, so you're a- an artist? I am, yeah. I, I do artwork in, in my spare time on the side and, and uh, really love to do that and share that passion as well with others. And then I saw on your website you're a cook, too. <laughs> yeah, I I do a lot of a lot of different things. <laughs> you know, you remind me of me. I got a lot of interest, but we're proud. Well, first of all, I want to say Colorado is proud to have had a three-time Olympian competitor come out of our state, and especially in a, a sport like that, and one and as a woman competitor. Let's kind of move on to what you're doing now. I want to eventually get to women and how you get started, but right now you you went from being an Olympic competitor to still doing competitive shooting, and you're an instructor. In right now, you compete mostly in three-gun, is that right? That's correct, yes. Um, I do, besides the three-gun, I teach courses all around the country, anywhere from ladies' handgun courses to elevated heart rate courses. We're actually going to be in, my twin sister and I, we compete together and and teach together. Uh, We're going to be up at the Liberty Firearms Institute in Jonestown for two courses on March 3rd and 4th. Uh, one, an elevated heart rate course, and the other is a ladies' handgun course. We'll talk more about those before I let you go so people can put those dates down. But tell people, I, I think, you know, we're, I understand the type of things you compete in, but we have a wide variety of listeners. Tell people what a three-gun competition is. So three-gun is rifle, pistol, shotgun, and it's a more tactical style moving and shooting uh, where they set up different stages. You kind of uh, run through more or less obstacles and, and uh, you know, shoot around barricades, things like that, anywhere from, you know, uh, seven yards to out to 700 yards. So it's, it's there's a lot of varying shooting, and uh, it's, it's a blast. It, for me, it's almost like uh, Bothlon on a smaller scale, um, but definitely with less running and more shooting. <laughs> yeah, well, and I've noticed, I went to your website, by the way, which is LannyBarnesProShooter.com, and I'll have you give all your contact information at the end so people can get that, too. But um, looks like you've been quite successful at the three-gun. Yeah, it was a great transition from Bothlon. Um, you know, with the background that we have and, and shooting with an elevated heart rate, you know, in, in three-gun you're moving moving a lot and, and shooting, and you're definitely getting that heart rate up. And I think that's that's helped us in, in that transition, um, diving into three gun and, and, you know, we definitely have a lot, a long ways to go and, and are, are learning as we go and, and, uh, just having a lot of fun with it. No, and, and I agree. And, and as I said before, my wife and I both do some shooting and not at the level that you're doing it, of course, but you know what I wanted to kind of get to you and I got talked a little bit during the week and, I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you actually shooting started out as a family thing, probably. You started out hunting. Was that kind of uh-huh. a family environment that led to that? Oh, definitely, yeah. Growing up, we, you know, being in Durango, there's so many outdoor activities and, and such incredible hunting that um, my dad, he was, his one of his biggest passions was hunting and shooting. And, and he had three girls and had no choice but to teach us all and, and pass that um, passion and tradition on to us. So, um, pretty much at an early age, we we uh, kind of fell in love with hunting and shooting, and, and that's kind of where everything started. Well, I'll tell you, I can tell you about as far as my own experience getting started shooting. My dad set up a BB gun range in the garage so that I could shoot year-round when I was probably about five years old. Nice. And then and then growing up in northern Minnesota, everybody eventually got a twenty two rimfire and pro- and some kind of a shotgun and and then eventually graduated to um big game hunting, but shooting 
my grandparents, and of course I'm a generation older than you, but my grandparents thought that fishing and hunting and camping and running traps was how they supported their family during the Depression. So they thought those were necessary life skills. I can't, I am so blessed that they had that attitude because the outdoors has been such a huge part of my life, not for survival or feeding my family, but for the, the values, the culture it brings for a bit, taking my own kids outdoors, my, my grandkids fishing. And, and just, I'm evangelistic about getting people outdoors. Cause if you don't experience it, you're never going to understand the value it can bring to your life. I do have, before we get into the trials and tribulations uh, well, let's start with that. Then we'll get. I have a comment I want to make. But as a woman, uh, and even though you grew up and uh, hunting and shooting, did you run into some trials and tribulations or roadblocks um, in what was typically a man-dominated sport? Although there was a woman's division of the biathlon, but you <laughs> started hunting. First of all, you probably were on the cutting edge of when companies started making equipment for women they you had to adapt to men's equipment but what about attitudes and things what did you, what was your experience like uh, you know gr- growing up um our, our you know being being girls and, and hunters we we didn't really have a lot of exposure to other women and, and shooting and hunting uh, i remember our dad would go down to the army navy and for some reason he'd buy men's mediums and and you know we'd get a big belt and, and rope and cinch everything up and roll it up and we'd be walking around like, uh, you know, the abominable snowman But uh, while we're out hunting. But now it's great to see that, that there's that big transition for women and, and kind, of, kind of encouraging women to get involved in hunting and shooting. Uh, you know, us, it was just, our, our dad was very welcoming and, and open about it. So we never had that, that feeling that it was some, that we were doing something wrong. It wasn't until later when we started, you know, getting at a higher level in shooting that, you know, we started noticing a little, a few uh, discrepancies and, and challenges that that we faced in, in being women in the firearms industry. I think that, you know, and it, it, it wasn't necessarily just the firearms industry. I mean, the uh, U.S. Olympic Committee, there was uh, funding challenges. You know, the men's team would get more funding than the women's team, even though we may have have been competing better at the time, but, um, you know, we, we pushed really hard and those were able to make great strides and changes to make things a little bit more equal. But I think in general, the, a lot of people were very welcoming. You know, we never had one instance where I can look back and say, Hey, you know, this, this really was a downer or, or a turnoff. Um, so I think we were very fortunate in that sense that we didn't have a lot of situations where, um, People were unwelcoming because we were women. Now, as an instructor, you're talking to women getting into the shooting sports all the time. And um, first of all, I can tell you that I know this from personal experience that a husband teaching his wife is is tra- tragic at best. But it, just, it causes, it, there's too much that gets in the way. It can help, obviously. You can work together and be friends. But do you, as a, an instructor, do you have women who... Are, you know, they just feel so much more comfortable having a woman instructor because it's been, mm-hmm. I think, a little intimidating sometimes for women to get started in hunting and shooting sports. Oh, definitely, yeah. I mean, there, there's for a lot of women that, that approach me, they're they're saying, you know, I, I I'd really love to learn from a woman. Um, you know, whether it's it's uh, a difficult situation, hard to hard to learn from their husband or something like that. Uh, but I think for women. 
you know, men have been trying to figure women out forever. <laughs> you think? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, but, but for women, you know, there's, there's obvious physical, physical differences. You know, when I was a kid, I always thought that, that I was, I was stronger than any guy out there and that, you know, I can do anything a man can do. And, and you can to a certain extent, but there are physical differences. Um, so, and, and, and psychological differences as well. You know, women usually learn differently than men. And uh, a, a lot of times if, if someone doesn't understand that, then it can be difficult in, in teaching them and kind of bringing them up when they're first starting. So uh, we've taught courses all over the United States with um, female-only courses that have been very well received where women say, hey, you know, this is, you know, you're speaking my language. I, I get it. And uh, um, I think that makes a difference. I think there's plenty of men out there that can do a great job in, in teaching women as well. Um, but I think that that female connection, it kind of takes out that intimidation factor a little bit. And, uh, yeah, I, I enjoy bringing more women into the sport for sure. Well, I do have one major issue with women in the shooting sports. Oh, what's that? Well, my wife and I go shooting on a fairly regular basis. She has been shooting nearly as long as I have, but she kicks my butt. Every time, women, in all honesty, and and, and obviously I was joking. I I love seeing women getting the outdoors. I think women and children are the future of the outdoor industry because we need to grow this group of people to make sure we're strong, we're strong organizations, and we're a strong voice. Um, But my mom was on a deer stand with me when I was twelve years old, and she owned her own lever action rifle back up in Minnesota. So I've been to me it was natural that women are shooters my wife has been on elk hunts and she's uh she's an angler she's got master angler awards from i think four different countries so for me to say she's not an outdoors person would be pretty ridiculous she produced both my radio and television shows and she's a participant but when we went to start i hadn't shot handguns for a long time and we went to start shooting handguns again and she went with me and she had never really been a handgun shooter and she just excelled and got so good so quickly. Part of it, I think, was that um, she didn't have some of the bad habits I did because I worked with some instructors when I decided to get back into it, even though I had shot quite a bit. But I already had some bad habits. She was, having not done much handgun shooting, she was a blank palette. But she also, women, you brought it up, women seem to adapt to some of these sports more quickly than men. I think in a lot of cases, you know, uh, when women are getting into uh, shooting a handgun or, or any sort of firearm, um, they definitely have that healthy respect and that healthy fear for the firearm. And I think that that, that allows them to almost be more or less a sponge where they, they, they're able to listen to every single thing you say and, and take it to heart because they want to make sure that they're doing everything correctly um, making sure that they're safe and, and things like that because of that um, that fear and the, that respect that they have for, for the firearm. Now, we're running over on time. John Hood, from by the way, from Parks and Wildlife is waiting. He's going to be coming on after you. But I, I told him we might run over and then we'll get to him, give him plenty of time. He's a big fan of yours, by the way. Mm-hmm. And um, he, uh, but I, a couple other things I want to get to real quick. When you see... You know, men come into the shooting sports, and a lot of times there's a little bit of a macho-ness, and I understand that. But women come in, I think, maybe because of the cultural attitudes about firearms, do you see some hesitation? Do some women come into your courses just to get familiar and understand firearms? 
Oh, absolutely, yes. We have a lot of women that that come in that have never touched a firearm. Um, there's a lot of women that will come that, you know, they, they may not be um, for firearms and, and just say, hey, you know, I, I've never touched a handgun in my life or a firearm, and I, 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 I don't agree with them, but I want to learn and educate myself on, on what, what they are and what, what they're about. And, you know, I really love that openness that, that someone that, that is maybe anti-gun is willing to pick up a gun and see what it's all about as opposed to just um, looking at it from afar and, and making a judgment from that standpoint and not ever uh, experiencing it firsthand. Now, I also know you'll belong to a lot of really neat organizations. We really have to get finish this up. But if you could take just a few seconds, tell me some of the organizations you belong to and, and maybe give some women some tips on ones they could look to join. Tell us again when your classes are and then how people can find out more about you. Well, definitely. So the, first off, the classes are at Liberty Firearms, Firearms Institute in Jonestown, uh, March 3rd and 4th. One's an, the first one is an elevated heart rate course. Second one is a, a ladies-only handgun course. Um, I'm part of an organization called the Women's Outdoor Media Association where we pr- promote women in shooting, fishing, hunting, and archery. And you can find more information out at thewoma.org. Uh, we also give scholarships out to young girls that are, are pursuing those activities as well. And uh, my website is LannyBarnesProShooter.com. You can find me on Facebook at Lanny Oakley. And that's about it. All right. Well, Lanny, uh, an incredible career. We're very proud of you being here from Colorado and so glad that you could join us on the show. And you're welcome back anytime. I think we should get you on again and talk more about women in the outdoors in general because it's a great topic to talk about. So good luck in your future endeavors, and thanks for joining us today. Well, thanks, Terry. It was an honor to be on your show. You bet. That's Lanny Barnes. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. <music> Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoke Fish Company, Smoked Salmon. The secret is in the fire. By the way, I was out there at their facility this week with Karen, and we're going to tell you more about that later in the show. They are just fantastic. I want to go right to the phones now. And joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is John Hood, and he's uh, the training manager for law enforcement. Good morning, John. Good morning, Terry. Thanks for having me on the show. Hey, before we even start with what we want to talk about, I know you're fans of Lanny and her sister. Aren't those tremendous gals? Yes, they are. Yes. I mean, the state should be so proud the way they've represented us. Just, And I love women in the outdoors. It just, it just means so much. And, you know, we're going to talk about a hiring process for district wildlife managers. And you actually have a number of women in those positions. Yes, we do. And um, we, we've had quite a few for a number of years. And, and I think as uh, um, times are changing, we're, we're hiring more and more. And, and uh, they're a valuable part of our uh, group of employees. Well, you know, I want to talk a little bit. Um, there's a lot going on about careers in the outdoors that always appeals to people. The first statement I always want to make about careers in the outdoors is they're not an outdoor job. They're a job that involves the outdoors. The, the job part has to come first. And people that, if they want to be successful in the outdoors, they have to remember that. But here's an opportunity. It's really unique. Um, you're, you're hired for district wildlife managers. And from your, our conversations, you go through this about once a year. But it's a long process. Is that right? Yes, the, the hiring process takes takes a while, but once we actually hire um, our new set of district wildlife managers, they are in our training academy for a full year before they're actually placed um, somewhere out in the state. 
Now, let's talk, before we get into the process and how people might be able to get involved if this is an appealing career, um, let's talk about the job itself. It's, you know, it's law enforcement, but it's more than that. And you kind of told me it's like a cross between a biologist and and a a game warden. And I want to add another one to that, too. In today's world, I think it also, you have to be a public relations person. Yeah, absolutely, because what we're basically doing is we're dealing and managing people in relation to wildlife and natural resources. So we are uh, district wildlife managers are commonly called game wardens, but law enforcement's only a portion of their job, in addition to uh, being a biologist and a public relations person and an education specialist and many other hats that they wear all at the same time. Well, and I think, you know, obviously we need proper enforcement of our rules and regulations. There's rules are in place for a purpose to help with game management and uh, and safety and a lot of other issues. But I think that uh, most game wardens, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, or district wildlife managers probably have more positive interaction with outdoor people than negative. People get information from them. They'll stop by and talk to people, give them tips. They're helping manage the game, whether it's the fisheries or the wildlife and area. Part of their responsibility is to help management. So they do end up with a lot of positive interaction. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, you know, the vast majority of the people that we contact, even when we're doing law enforcement, um, are good sportsmen and, and following the rules and, and uh, doing what they we want them to be doing. And occasionally, you know, we, we run into some situations where people aren't, but that's in the minority. No, it really is. So I'm looking at this. I'm researching it. First of all, um, if I want to get a real true job description, is that somewhere on the website? Yes, if you go to our main website, which at Colorado Parks and Wildlife, um, you can click on a, a tab in the. It says about us, and when you click on that, then you can find another tab down there about careers and jobs. And within that tab are job descriptions and more information about our district wildlife manager positions, some biologist positions, etc. Now, what are the general requirements for district wildlife manager as far as education or background? So the first thing that they need is they need to have a four-year degree um, in biology, wildlife management, fisheries, something closely related to that in a natural resource field. And then um, that would make them eligible to apply for the position. Now, Now, one of the things I want to comment is we have a great school in Colorado State for those programs, too, that one of the best in the country. Yes, and uh, we we hire quite a few people from Colorado State University, but we also hire people from um, that have gone to school in Colorado from um, all around the state. Now, let's talk a little bit about the process, how long it takes. You're actually finishing up a process right now, but you'll soon be restarting it. So when does the process start? So typically our process will start with a job announcement, and that will come out usually now in, in late May or very early June. And uh, that's kind of an announcement that if you meet the requirements, you can apply for the position and then start the process. And then once you do that, I imagine there's an interview process. You submit resumes, and is there some testing and things involved? Yeah, the first thing that we'll do is once people are eligible, we'll notify them, and they'll they'll come to uh, do a physical fitness test, which is just a, um, you don't have to be an Olympic athlete like Lanny to do this, but just some, some bare minimums. And then there's a written exam and then we narrow the field from that. And we go through a few other exam processes. And as we get closer to 
getting the small list of the people that we're going to hire, we start doing uh, a pretty extensive background investigation um, and so forth, since this is a law enforcement position. All right. And then once you get to the final, when is the starting point? When do you make your decision on how many and who you're going to take on for that year? Typically, we get to that point um, in November. um, And then the job actually usually starts about the first of the year, like the first part of January. And uh, they'll go through a basic police academy at that point for a few months. And then they'll come back to us and we will train them how to be a district wildlife manager, how to apply the basic law enforcement skills, but in a wildlife environment, in addition to all the other things that they're going to do in their job. And that's going to take about seven and a half to eight months to finish that process. Well, and we're running out of time, but the one comment I want to make that if this job is approached with the right attitude and with the people that really have a passion for the outdoors, but also for our rules, um, the public interaction, it can be an incredibly rewarding career. Yeah, and, and if you go to talk to most all of our district wildlife managers around the state, we have 135 of them, they'll tell you that it's the best career in the world. Now and, there's... Uh, It's part of their life. It's not just a job, but it becomes part of their life. And the information, again, is on the website, right? Yes, it is. Go to our our Colorado Parks and Wildlife homepage, and you can find out more information about the jobs there. John, thank you so much. Thanks, Terry, for having me on. You bet. That's John Hood from Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Let's go right back to the phones because um, we're patiently waiting. At least I hope he's been patiently waiting. We have um, Ray Reeves from Adventure Camper. Good morning, Ray. Hi, Terry. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing great, and um, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag a little bit and tell people that you and I are working to put together an event at your place. It won't be till later in the spring. I haven't had as much time as I wanted to get into it, but I'll get back to you in about a week. But we're going to try to get a bunch of people there and do some great things. But in the meantime, what's happening out there? Well, you know, this is the time of year when we're bringing in lots of new inventory. We've got a really good selection right now. Um, Viking came out with some ultralight travel trailers, 17-footers that weigh less than 3,000 pounds. And this year we've got some of them with off-road packages to give more clearance for Colorado roads. Um, very popular slide-out versions of their um, uh, bunkhouse model and their walk-around queen model. So we've got those in stock. Uh, we're getting new inventory every day, basically, and, and uh, some really good-looking stuff. So we've got great uh, selection right now. Well, I, I think I want to make a comment, too. Those with The high-wheel clearance ones, if you've got a, a good four-wheel drive vehicle, you can get up to places to camp that the average person can't. And, boy, that can make a difference in your experience. Well, that's true. And, you know, even if you're not really going full-blown four-wheel drive off-roading with them, uh, you know, a lot of these Colorado roads, uh, it helps having some extra clearance, some extra height uh, to get, you know, the the axles and toilet tank valves over the humps and rocks and bumps and tree stumps and whatever else that you might experience. So they've been very popular sellers, of course, in Colorado, and, and we've got a great selection of them from a couple different manufacturers now. How do they find you, Ray? We are at uh, www.adventurecamper.com on the web. Uh, if you want to come visit us on this beautiful Saturday, we're here until 4 p.m. today, and we're near the intersection of Arapahoe Road and Jordan Road, um, uh, so we're easy to find, southeast metro Denver. All right, my friend, we will um, we'll get to work on this event because I think it's going to be fun, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Terry. Appreciate it as always. You bet. Ray from Adventure Campers. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoke 
Fish company smoked salmon. The secret is in the fire. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest motorcycle and ATV dealer. By the way, I want to remind you to follow us on Facebook, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Um, we're going to be starting a new contest this month. Where we're going to, it's going to be Terry's Trivia. We'll tell you more about it later in the show for 20 years on the air. And we're going to be giving away a $100, $99 value package of Honey Smoked Fish Company Smoked Salmon every month based on a trivia question that the answer will be on our Facebook page. So you need to follow and like our Facebook page. Let's go right to the phones now. And joining us from uh, Colorado Parks and Wildlife, we have Rebecca Farrell. Good morning, Rebecca. Good morning, Terry. How are you? I'm doing great. What a beautiful day out, isn't it? Oh, It's gorgeous. Oh, it's just, you know, that's what, you know that, for all the up and down weather we have, Karen, my wife and I, and she produces the show, said that there hasn't been a month in the last 12 that we haven't had at least one day we could sit out on the patio and have dinner or a glass of wine and just be in a sweatshirt, even January and December. It's just we get these days that coming from Minnesota, we had those brutal winters would just <laughs> beat you down, you know, and, and I love the Northwoods. But let's we want to talk about the outdoors here in Colorado. Now, we all know Parks and Wildlife is charged with managing our big game. And and, our, and all the game species of animals. We also know that you get almost zero public or general funding. It all comes from, almost all comes from license sales and, and, and entities like that. But you guys do a lot more than that. You're, you're also charged with managing, I think, over 700 species of non-game animals. Is that right? That's correct. There are over 750 really vital species of wildlife that we manage that are considered non-game, which means they're not hunted, fished, or trapped, and they're all equally important in our overall ecosystem. So um, we love having the opportunity to kind of talk about some of the other work that we do aside from our big, iconic, big game species. Well, and that work needs to be funded, too, and a lot of that funding ends up having to come from hunting licenses. Now, don't get me wrong, hunters benefit because anytime you're working with habitat, whether it's for game or non-game species, as habitat especially, you're benefiting everybody and everything. That's absolutely correct. And even if your, you know, bigger interest is maybe, say, in some sport angling, um, it's still really important to consider that the habitat work that we're doing to help sustain and maintain and conserve our river otter population, for example, is really important because uh, if those otters are thriving, that means that the riparian habitat that they're living in is strong. That means that the water quality and stream flows are strong and certainly that their main source of food, which is fish, are doing really well as well. So um, it's really important overall, even if you don't think of something like a river otter or a black-footed ferret as, as your main interest, uh, their health and their habitat is really an overall um, indicator and contributor to our habitat and our ecosystem here in Colorado's health overall. Well, and a lot of people hunt with a camera or they just go out and enjoy watching nature. In fact, some of the recent figures I've seen is that wildlife watching is actually becoming a bigger economic contributor than hunting and fishing. Um, so those three legs of the stool are all important, <clears throat> excuse me, but they're all intertwined. Without one, you don't have the other. In fact, the management of these non-game species can be so important because if one of those were to become threatened or endangered, that affects your entire management strategy for a whole, a, a whole area. 
That's absolutely correct. And so one of the things you mentioned earlier is that, you know, we we do collect a lot of our funding from our our big game hunters and our and our anglers. But what I wanted to talk about today is that there's a very easy way that people can kind of help in contributing to um, the threatened and endangered wildlife species here in Colorado that aren't funded necessarily as strongly by those things. And that's by utilizing your Colorado state income tax form. Now, now, how does that work? If I do, I have to itemize or what, what happens? It's actually really easy, whether you're doing your, you know, taxes online, whether you're using a tax professional or, or doing the old school pencil and paper. Um, there is a line, it's line 28 on your state income tax form that allows you to make a voluntary contribution. And then there's a secondary form, it's called 104CH. Um, it's available where you get the rest of your tax forms and it's certainly quick and easy to do online as well. Um, line number one is the non-game conservation and wildlife restoration cash fund. And that money goes to us to, again, kind of help contribute to the sustainability and balance of wildlife, not only now, but for future generations as well. Now, once I do this, um, that money gets, does that money, do, they, do I have to send a check or do they just take it out of my return? It comes right out of your return. So, you know, we're kind of here at the, in the week that everybody should have been getting all of their forms. So we wanted to kind of get in early and let people know that it's a super easy thing to do to contribute to some of the things that make Colorado, Colorado. And, you know, I can't make anybody excited to do their taxes, but I can hopefully make you feel pretty good about being able to contribute to some of the things that, that make the state such a great place to live and a place that we care about so much. Now, is there a minimum amount or do you specify an amount? How does that work? You choose the amount. So you'll specify on line 28 of your main tax form um, how much you'd like to donate. And then on that 104CH form, you can choose the fund, which, again, we're in line number one. We're hoping you choose us um, to just fill in that that's this is the fund that you'd like your money to go to. So if I'm getting $300 back and I put $50 to that fund, I still get $250 back and I never have to send that money. It comes out of my return. That's absolutely correct. So there's not any extra steps. It's just one of those things where hopefully you've you've got a refund coming and you're you're hopefully uh, considering how you can make a difference. And this is one really great way that you can help um, invest in Colorado. Well, and you know, we've got some funding issues and we've got some funding bills in the legislature right now and some other things. And because you're an enterprise agency and you don't get other sources of funding, you know, if you're an outdoor enthusiast in Colorado with the people that are moving here, with the people that are recreating year-round now, I mean, it's not just a summertime thing anymore. People are out there year-round. Um, we want to maintain the heritage and resources in this wonderful state. So if you're in the position where making this contribution doesn't affect you financially, it can certainly have a huge effect on all of us, whether we're anglers or fish or hunters or just bird watchers, and it's going to benefit all of us. Absolutely. And that's kind of, you know, one of our core messages is that um, the work that we do here in Colorado is for everyone. Um, you know, all Coloradans benefit from having a strong wildlife program, from having great state parks to explore. And certainly part of that is, you know, some of these smaller species people may not be thinking of when they think about the work that we're doing. And so it's really important that people understand that we are trying to, you know, utilize our funds the best ways that we can in order to really just keep Colorado. Colorado and, and maintain all the things you love and that you know true whether you're a bird watcher like you said we've got some some really great eagle festivals going on this weekend all the way through you know your your big game hunters so um, you know our overall mission is really just to conserve and to propagate and maintain the species that we have throughout the state really quickly again what line and what's the what's the names on the the donation 
So you'll be looking at line 28 on your state income tax form, and then there's a supplemental form called 104CH. Line number one goes to the Non-Game Conservation and Wildlife Restoration Cash Fund. All right, Rebecca, thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you, Terry. You bet. Rebecca from Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. <music> dire Straits, another great band. We've got to listen for just a few minutes, a few seconds of this. So do I show my age, Kyle, when I like this music? He's saying no, so I like that. That's good. Hey, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoked Fish Company, Smoked Salmon. The secret is in the fire. It's time now for Terry's Tackle Tip of the Week. It is time for our tackle tip. And let me tell you real quick, if you've been paying attention over the last few weeks, we've been talking about getting back to basics. And uh, Ronnie Castiglione did a... um, a seminar at ISE, and then we covered it here on the radio, and I actually wrote about it in my Denver Post column about one rod, one reel, and a, 10 lures. And the whole idea was that you can do a lot of fishing right here in Colorado with just one spinning reel was set up a certain way. Well, I'm going to add to that today. Um, I also do a lot of traveling. And uh, I get on airplanes a lot. In fact, typical year, I'll fly between fifty and 100,000 miles. And I like a lot of the destinations I go to. Uh, some are planned fishing trips, and I, have, I take specific gear with me. Some are destinations where I know there's fishing available, and I'm not sure how much I'm going to get to do. So, but I want to have some gear with me. And in either one of those trips, when I'm on an airplane, I can get... Um, a tackle, some tackle packed away and put in my luggage, some rod, some reels, a couple different reels or some line. I can ha- manage that pretty well, but rods are always the issue. So I've invested in some travel rods. And I think if you're somebody who travels a lot, even in a car where you, if it's a sedan or something where you, you just don't have room, even for a two-piece fishing rod, a good travel rod can give you the opportunity if you have some time or maybe even if it's a planned trip to experience fishing in a lot of areas you might not have got to. And I take it with me whether I go to the ocean. I do a lot of casting in the surf. Sometimes I'll, you know, go out in a boat when I'm in the ocean and things like that. But a lot of times I just walk the shores and I look for jetties and it's amazing how many fish you can catch. Same thing is true if you're going to an area, you know, like Colorado, but you're flying somewhere, maybe Minnesota or the southeast. There's fishing available, but you have to have some equipment with you at times uh, if you're not using a guide or something. And what I really um, settled on are the Fenwick travel rods. Now, these are four-piece rods. Now, they sell for about $120. You can get them a little discounted in the stores, but they're a great investment. And here's why. There's a spinning and a casting model. They come with multiple tips. So one rod can be used for different actions. The spinning, for instance, one tip is from one-eighth ounce to three-quarter ounce and line from, uh, and the lines overall with the two tips vary from uh, eight to 20 pounds, or I think it's supposed to be six to 20. But they're, they're, very, they're very versatile, okay? So by having maybe a reel spooled with some super line, you can change your leader yet still handle some very light presentations, but have a rig heavy enough to handle some pretty good-sized fish. I've landed some awfully big fish in the ocean and big bass and pike, too, on these same reels. Now, there is a casting version, and that one also has, um, it has, it handles lures from quarter to one ounce and lines from eight to 20, 
And these come in a hard pack travel tube. Now, when you get these four piece rods in these travel tubes, they're very easy to carry on in an airplane. So even if you're not checking luggage, and if you are checking luggage, you know, a big rod, a tube that goes through luggage tends to be oversized. And I've done that where I've had four or five of my one-piece rods, and we've had to check the big tube. And it's always kind of a hassle handling it with the luggage. You're, you're never sure what's going to happen with it. But with a nice travel rod, and if you want one of each, what we've done is I've taped the two together so they become one piece of carry-on. They'll easily fit in an overhead, but a lot of times Karen's with me, or we have two seats, or even if you have one window seat. If you get a window seat can take those rods and kind of stick it under the seat as far as you can but up against the side of the plane they don't care it, it fits perfectly doesn't block the aisle or anything so they're incredibly easy to carry on and then when i get there i've got a quality rod and the reason i like the fenwick it's the fenwick hmg travel rod fenwick hmg travel rod there's only two models the spinning and the casting I would definitely get the spinning if you're only going to have one. I take my spinning rod with me about 90% of the time. Only about 10% do I take the casting rod. And that's just when I know there might be some specifics like some big pike. And a lot of people don't have casting reels that hold up well in salt water. But mo a, a really good quality spinning reel will usually. But be a little careful where you're going to take them. Make sure you have a spinning reel that is, you know, will hold up in those that environment if that's where you're going. But again, I love these rods because of the dual tips. So by having just multiple sections for this rod, I can change the action to whatever I'm doing at the time and still only have to have one rod with me. It makes for very compact travel. And I know $120, maybe that's more than some of you would normally spend, but it's well worth it. When you're going on a trip, you're spending hundreds of dollars on an airplane ticket, probably in lodging. You might be renting a car. To, to skimp and try to save and then get an opportunity to fish, and then lose a fish or not be able to fish because of poor equipment, you really haven't saved anything in the hundreds or thousands of dollars you set spent on this trip. Now, there is one other rod that I will recommend. It's not quite as heavy. Um, it's a little lighter action. It's also a Fenwick, but their Eagle Series 4-piece is also another. and it's, It sells for around $70. A little lighter action, but a very, very good rod. So if you, if you want to spend a little less money but still have something with you. But look at the Fenwick travel rods. Look at the HMG. Look at the Eagle. I think you're going to find that having one of these is going to allow you to take equipment with you and fish in places you never would have been able to fish otherwise or wouldn't have been worth the hassle of taking the long gear. So that's our tackle talk for today. One more thing I want to mention before we go to break is I've been teasing that we're going to be starting some contests. You have to start following us and liking us on Facebook, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. Starting this month, we're going to start what's called Terry's 20 Years of Trivia. We've been on the air 20 years. So we're going to go back in time, and we're going to find things that happened on the radio. We're going to post that trivia on our Facebook page. Then during the show, once a month, and we're not going to tell you what week it is, we're going to ask about one of those trivia questions. So if you haven't been following us on Facebook or liking us on Facebook, you're probably not going to know the answer. And by the time you look it up, it might be too late. So if you want to challenge the gift for the next few months is going to be a $99 gift certificate to have Honey Smoked Salmon, a fish company, Smoked Salmon, delivered right to your door. And this stuff is incredible. So follow us on Facebook, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. You should anyway. 
because that's where we post. Every time we put a new television show up, it's posted there. Every time my article is in the post, it gets posted there in the Denver Post. Every time I get out on a fishing, I want some updates, I post it there. We do the Colorado Parks and Wildlife updates there. So you get a lot of information about this show and the outdoors anyway by following Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoked Salmon. Color, the secret is in the fire.